there's a podcast you should know. We gonna download blurry photos. It's two men with microphones. We gonna download blurry photos. And they take on the unknown. We gonna download blurry photos. Oh, them boys are blurry photos. Well, Flora was born with a mic in his hand, a book by his side, and a mighty big plan. He said, who wants to learn something weird? And that's when the show Blurry Photos appeared. Well, Stecco showed up with a razor-sharp whip, a healthy skepticism, and a mouth that won't quit. He said, let me give you some jackass and might. And that's when the show Blurry Photos took flight. A podcast you should know. We gonna download Blurry Photos. It's two men with microphones. We gonna download Blurry Photos. And they take on the unknown. We gonna download Blurry Photos. Oh, them boys are Blurry Photos. We gonna download Blurry Photos. Now gather round, everybody. Now y'all heard the song of David and David. While the ballad of blurry photos has been sung in these parts since my grandpappy was knee-high to a grasshopper. Mm-hmm. But how many of y'all know the actual story of Dave and David? Mm-hmm. Now I happen to be in possession of the true origins of blurry photos as recounted to be by my own great-grandpappy, who you will all recognize as a pillar of this community. Mm-hmm. Seems old David Stecco had found his uh, customary place at the bar, the local watering hole, once again on a Tuesday morning, uh, getting drunk as was his custom. Mm-hmm. Now, old David Stecco, he got real used to calling the shots and running things in his part of town. Seems he got a little too big for his britches. His britches. And one day. Oh, who walks in the saloon but a new stranger? Uh-oh. Eight feet tall if he's an inch. Mm-hmm. Long blonde hair past his nipples. Sometimes. <laughs> now, folks been swapping tears about this man moving through the territory for now to a month, and my grandpappy included assumed that they was just stories. Mm. Until that story came strutting into the saloon. He said in a voice loud as thunder, My name's David Flora. Said, I all want you to know something about myself. I got a mind as open as church doors on Sunday. Amen. Seems David Flora made something of a name for himself out east as a, a man willing to hear all and judge none. Well, I can tell you that's going to put him at crossroads with a local Lord David Stecco. He sure do. Because old David Stecco sitting at the end of that bar. He got a mind like school in summertime. No class? No, you ignoramus. Closed. That's right, old David Stecco. He don't have to know nothing to hate it. Seems he's one of them folks came out the womb already deciding his mind on everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So old David Flora sidles up to the bar next to Stecco, who was also devastatingly handsome. And waves down the bar, keeps says, I have what he's having. To which David Stecco, askance and askew, says to Flora, 
Well, I hope that you understand that it's a nice tall glass of I already understand what I know my business to be about and ain't looking to hear nothing new about it. Mm-hmm. Sure was. Flora says, I understand you and I have a difference of opinion on uh, items as yet to be explained. Seems as you and I are the only people interested in the subject, we might be of some accord. <laughs> well, 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 I tell you what, everybody knew those two was going to set to tussling and tussle they did. Mm-hmm. Haymakers, right hooks, underbellies, purple nurples, flying left to right, and Lord Almighty. Ain't that right, eh? And it seems this difference of opinion wasn't just shared by these two strikingly physicalized specimens of manhood. Seems everybody had this kind of simmering in the back of their whatnot. Old Tito and Glenn over by the piano, they set to it. Well, as a matter of fact, I have it on good authority that even the widow Hutchison started tussling with old lady Ebersaw. Now, I got to tell you, up until that day, they were the fastest of friends that did nothing all day but order sweets from the East Coast and talk about it. But I'll tell you, that day those two started tussling and throwing and every single one of them pouring out into the streets and everybody clamoring to hear what they said. The crosswords and epithets sliding here and forth. The ideas flying like fists and each and every one of them standing around. Why, soon enough a gathering so large couldn't have fit inside a city hall the size of a livery stable. And finally, when the two Davids had just exhausted themselves in a giant heap, just muttering puns like a couple of idiots. Somebody done said, well, I'll tell you what, I feel bad for the destruction of property and the complete annihilation of a place of business and drinking, but we sure did enjoy listening to you. So y'all ever feel like chatting it up without destroying things, well, maybe we'll come around again. In the midst of this tumultuous commotion, while so many people gather around, even people from the local telegraph office and printing press came in, because ain't no news when they sees it. Mm-hmm. Now, they sent for one of them there photography machines to be taken out so they could get a picture for the paper of all the goings-on, but I'll tell you what, old David and David was tussling so fast and furious, wasn't nothing but a giant hazy mess on the thing, because, of course, it's... At the time, you had to be still for nigh on to two hours in order mm-hmm, to take a picture. Mm-hmm, two hours, maybe three. But that didn't stop them none. They still took it. They put it in the paper. And all they had for their troubles was a giant out-of-focus daguerreotype, which that's what they called it, out-of-focus daguerreotype. Now, the problem with that is there's too many R's and vowels in that sentence. The local printing office only had so many vowels mm-hmm. in the press, and they had to find a way to truncate it. So best they could come up with was an Italian gentleman called it a blurry photo. Italian. And that is the story of blurry photos, and that is the root of the song y'all singing. Now, get back to work, you filthy mongrels. We got a hundred miles of track to lay, and we only got five more months to do it. <laughs> Hey, everybody. (laughs) Well, you just heard the story of Blurry Photos. Mm -hmm. That's our origin story, and we're sticking to it. (laughs) We've been tussling and tussling ever since. (laughs) I'll tell you right now, I'm David Flora. And I'm the villain, David Stecco. (laughs) Drinking and farting and whatnot. This is... (laughs) This is the blurry photos. This of is out of focus to Garrett type. Well, you've heard you've heard the tale before. That's right. Tale is old as time.
Have you heard some other tales before, though? It's right. It's July. It's July. And if there's one thing that we love, it's beating up on New Age bullshit. And if there's one thing just <laughs> above that, it's America. America. July. That's America's right. month. So welcome to July. Welcome to... Eh, we don't have a... Yeah. We don't have a real name no. for it. We just... We'll throw <laughs> some... Uh, <laughs> some America-centric stuff yeah. at you this month. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna turn our international gaze inward. Yeah. Last so this year, month, we're going to be talking about immigration reform. That's it. Just immigration, immigration reform. Yeah. All month. You guys like the DREAM Act? <sighs> I got boring fast. Uh... <laughs> Last year we did Revolutionary War Myths. Yep. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Tons of fun. So this year... So uh, this year... Yeah. We're going to uh, we're gonna, we're gonna keep going with that. And why not American Tall Tales? Whoa. That's right. You're getting them hard and fast. This is something that, that um, growing up in America, at least in the 80s, <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, I think a lot of people get exposed to. Mm-hmm. What when we were sitting down thinking, what can we do for you know ye old July second? Yeah. Uh, what what's going to be something that's you know truly uh, American, but also something that maybe people either get wrong or aren't sure about, or or yeah. have been just plain told wrong about. Yeah. Well, came up with tall tales. That's right, the tallest of tales this is what we did because they're tons of fun and they've got a, such a varied each. I mean, they they don't all come out of the same history they all oh, have no. a, a really fun story behind them and and i mean personally 90 percent of my exposure to tall tales is um from the disney series sure the johnny appleseed uh paul bunyan paul bunyan uh pecos bill yep. and so you know and I, I grew up watching those things and um and it's such an interesting thing to to just stop for a moment and say you know what this is folklore right, this is folklore it's our folklore and is it rooted in history? I don't know. Yeah. Why not take a look at that and see? That's what we're Ar- going to do. Yeah. Archigo, Archibald William Pecos III. <laughs> Was he a real man? Uh, we're going to dive into what a tall tale is. Yep. How it's distinguished from legends, myths, mm-hmm. other things. Uh, and we're, we'll talk about a little of the golden age of tall tales. And uh, like we said, was there any truth behind famous figures out of uh, the yeah. out of the tales? And then uh, maybe we'll we'll wax a little on what makes them important or what made them important to uh, the growth of America and people and culture and all that good stuff. And then we'll wax off with some puns. Exactly. So let's talk about uh, let's lay some foundation first. Yeah, let's talk some foundation. Let's lay down what exactly tall tales are. Tall tales aren't specific to America. Let's just put that no, out there. Yeah, no, we're right not. Now. We did not invent lying. <laughs> we just perfected we're, it. <laughs> we're not, we weren't the creators of exaggeration, but we sure are the progenitors of it. That's right. We turned it into our our number one export. <laughs> Tall tales are stories that depict the exploits and adventures of larger than life folk heroes. Uh, traditionally, they are a form of oral entertainment, as in stories told around the campfire or at the bar or something, you know, sit right. around with your homies. And I think and that, that kind of comes into what you were talking about earlier with the golden age of it, you know, when, yeah. when that's... When that's, that's the form of entertainment that people had. Uh, they involve people who do extraordinary or superhuman things, mm-hmm. and exaggeration 
is often an integral part of uh, each story. Yeah, and there's, I mean, a sort of a, a tongue-in-cheek explanations, you know, like, oh, this is this is how, why the Great Lakes are great. Exactly. And you know, there's a little bit of, um, it's not a mythology like the way we discuss, say, with Thunderbirds. Right. That is a belief system kind of thing, but sort of a, a oh, and, and that's why the Mississippi's so big. Yep, yep. exactly. Uh, geographical features are, are a big yeah, explanation exactly, yeah. source. Source. These are a source of geographic. Oh, God. Oh, here we go. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> they're part of the folklore of the American frontier in the 1800s. Yep. What a time to be alive. <laughs> folklore. For about 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Until dysentery gets you. Folklore is loosely defined as uh, traditional customs, beliefs, stories, songs uh, of a culture. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with that description. There's there's a ton, dude. Folklorists, oh, yeah. people who, who study folklore, will every single one of them will give you something different. Yeah. And then they love it for that. <laughs> folklore differs slightly from myths mm-hmm. uh, in that myths are often set in the distant past and they deal with bigger concepts. Right, and a there, lot of there, times. there is that that weird Venn diagram of explanatory. You know, oh, it's this is why the Devil's Tower exists. There, there yeah. is a little shared thing, but I, again, with tall tales, it's no one believes it. It's just a, a fun and enter, entertaining manner yeah. of dis, of of explaining the things you see. Right, and and in terms of uh, the concept of legends, they're a little different from legends because legends generally. Uh, tend to try and use elements to uh, build some historical context for their subjects. Yeah. Um, for example, uh, dates and locations, things like that are, are used for legends to give them some kind of credence uh, while still being oral and unverifiable. That's a very... That's, man, yeah. you can see how this is like... It's trying to define like the the edge of a shadow or something. Yeah. Like if if you say it's here, it's already moved, and it's and it's also it's so hard to to differentiate while maintaining uh, while being respectful and not, uh, you know, the difference between someone's mythology mm-hmm. and their folklore versus tall tales. It's hard to be like you know everyone agrees that this is just a made up story. <laughs> They're not stepping on the toes of. <clears throat> Your made up story, <laughs> you know, it, it it gets into belief systems. It's very hard. It's it's, I mean, you know what? Three hundred years from now, mm-hmm. will they be considered tall tales? Will they be our our mythology? Will they? Yeah. Will someone be like, no, there was a time, and this is my belief as an American. You know, like That's hard true. to tell. Uh, but for the time being, we're close enough to it to know that these are campfire stories. These right. are these are a means of popular entertainment. And the people who told these stories were good at it. They were entertainers of a sort. They were, they were handed around. They were the, the 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 forwarded emails of their time. <laughs> forward, 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 yeah. forward. Re, 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 re. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. One exclamation, exclamation. Stop washing your hands. <laughs> Did you know? Yeah. Obama has decreed. That. Yeah. A guy in Decatur is putting um, murder acid in bars of soap. Save your family if you care about them. Forward this to a 10 people. If not, your dog will, will get dysentery. <laughs> dysentery is going to be big on this one. I'm getting this that. whole This whole episode is uh, the Oregon Trail. <laughs> it is. <laughs> we, 
we got to ford a river at some point here um i'm telling you pay the money for the ferry <laughs> i know it's only four feet deep but dude <laughs> <laughs> nice tall tales take a little of of each of the concept of of myths and legends mm-hmm. and but they also commonly fall into the category of fake lore Ooh. which are made up stories uh, and songs and stuff and they're passed along as traditional uh, folklore many times it's updated tales to fit the time that they're being told in right and it's it's ah, it, it, it's it's hard because it does operate in such an odd space that people say now this story's been told in these parts for forever right Although no one's ever heard it until right now, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it seems that this particular gentleman wanted to have an amalgamated source for wheat and wheat soy products. And it was you know, like there's there's always like this very specific right. niche for it. And, right. And we'll get into that. Like, yeah. We'll, yeah. I don't want to chip the hand. We'll get there's, there. Um, and there's a huge contention between um, folklore and fake lore. People that study folklore, especially, uh, well... Probably exclusively, <laughs> right? <laughs> Care about this this uh, uh, difference, and the way I thought of it was, uh, you've got your purists and your curiousists. <laughs> so people who are the purists think that fake lore is is terrible and and ruining real folklore, and people that are curiousists, this is something that I'm just throwing. I never found this anywhere. Uh, they like fake lore in terms of what it how how it has developed from folklore yeah and and i I think we're gonna get into this later and i don't want to bog this whole thing down but i mean really doesn't that just come down to cultural resonance maybe i mean the difference between folklore and fake lore is how much time it's had in the oven that's it yeah it's it's a timing issue you know like there's some other little things if if a if a, a a story resonates with a with an area and it creates an identity with that area then what but people the problem that people have with fake lore is that oh like this hasn't been a story told for 100 years you just made that up 3 months ago right but in 100 years if <laughs> it people becomes... you know and and we've done that we've crossed that mercator on a lot of these stories yeah well and so like because they would have called it if then if the story had been told for 100 years they would have been like well that's folklore yeah so yeah. so we've now created that distance between when these stories were told. So is it, you know, that, that, that that's a tough thing, it, uh, you know. By the day, yeah. So I don't, yeah, that's, I think it is something we can. Yeah, we'll uh, get there, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get to, but. Um, we're just going to keep pushing this forward and then we'll be like, oh, and we're out of time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Tell us what you think, fake lore, folklore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Tall Tale enjoyed a great run during the westward expansion in uh, 1800s America. Yeah. With the frontier being a place of unknown, mm-hmm. anything was possible. And and I think that as as a nation at that point uh, in our history, um, and we'll get into specific instances where, where some of these, these stories are actual advertising for companies oh, with yeah. products to sell, but as a, as a, a cultural advertisement. You know, to to be a settler, you need to be brave and bold, and yep. these are these Strong are the these, this is the person you want to be. This yeah. is a, um, it's it's it is it's scratching an uh, an an itch in the culture, yeah. Because people who are 
are like, wow, you know, it's really, I don't like it on the East coast, but I've heard, you know, I can go and make a difference if I go out West, if I get in this wagon train and transplant my family, mm-hmm. I can, I can have a farm, I can have land. And it's not dissimilar from, we, we have these memes moving in our culture. Now you are beautiful. You are smart. Real women have curves. These are, these are things that a society has within itself to lift itself up. Sure. And I think this is a kind of a similar expression. I think that, oh no, you know this. Uh, Paul Bunyan went out and he he said, "I'm going to chop down all these things," and he picked his teeth with a giant blue spruce. It's it's tales of exploits of of men who were not daunted, of women right, right. who who weren't afraid of the challenges of the West. Right to um, live, you had to be larger than life. Exactly, and so these are these are affirmations. These are stories that inspire. Right. Yeah. Well. Um, that's it. That's all we got. <laughs> um, with uh, with the frontier, which is uh, it, it was an amazing time uh, in in America because you've got this whole expanse of wilderness. Like I said, anything was possible. You mm-hmm. it was full of adventure. Uh, there was fear there, opportunity. Um, there was uh, danger and uh, feats. People f- people performing feats theretofore unseen. Yeah, this is this is a place. In a very real sense, where you, 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 you heroes were made, it was an unknown place, and mm-hmm. there was villains. There was oh, you know, and and from the the perspective of the people living at that time, oh, there's savages out there right. who are just bloodthirsty and crazy, and nothing makes sense. Right. But there's riches and there's beauty, and you can you can have your own land, and your family can grow up strong, and you know, there's mm-hmm. it's it's so hypnotic and seductive. Yeah. There were uh, tons of influences and factors that contributed to the creation of Tall Tales at that time. The list is long, but industry, for one thing, yep. was was a huge contributor. You've got the logging industry. Yep, Paul uh, Bunyan. Yeah, and and it's right. So many of these 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 famous American folk heroes are are in some cases directly, but in most of them not. But they are. They they represent an industry. Yeah, yeah. They come directly from work. Yeah, you've got Paul Bunyan, the timberman. Yeah, you've got Johnny Appleseed, the cultivator. Mm-hmm. You've got John Henry, the rail, the steel driving man. Yep. yep. Um, and they 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 all represent these these westward expansionist ideals. Right. Right. Uh, you also have well, like you said, the railroad uh, expanding. It was starting to go everywhere mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Pecos Bill, the man who tamed the West, tamed the Wild West, uh, invention. That yeah. was a big thing. Like they were, they, they were against big sausage back then. Like you, you want <laughs> you the think, lobby? <laughs> you, you think we, uh, you think we made it up the, today in today's times? No, man. They were against uh, uh, Wall Street and all the mm-hmm. fat cats. Oh yeah, no, it, but it, it's it's true. It's like. Uh, industry machines, things that could supplant people, right, was a very big threat. And at this time, keep in mind, th- imagine, like, look at the 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 government structures in the East Coast with the highest population density. Mm-hmm. You've got New York with the Tammany Hall. Oh, you and and that and and like uh, politics is graft. It's yep. theft. Yep. It's yep. it's paid for votes. Good it's, thing it's changed. I mean. <laughs> We're, we're, no, we're much, we're just more more slick about it now. Oh, oh. 
We've veneered over it. But it was very raw and rough there, and it showed up at your house. Mm-hmm. It was a guy knocking on your door saying, it's time for you to vote or I'll kick you out of your house. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, is, it is all of these dark things. And at that time, especially New York City, was seen as this, this Sodom, this, <laughs> this cesspool of graft and filth and sin and degradation. Yeah. And because there were so many people living in such tight proximity that the opportunity to just all the all the land you want is there. You mm-hmm. just have to go there and take it. Yep. And I survive. Mean, and survive. <laughs> People downplayed that. You yeah. know, it's it's it, it, because keep in mind not only is is there this nugget of want, especially within um, people who uh, immigrated to the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, they they get off the boat. It's it's terrifying. There is a line of people waiting to separate them from their money, right. all saying they're their friend, all saying they're going to help them. Um, most of these people are fleeced beyond time and space. <laughs> the the idea that they can that they can go west and be left alone, and maybe yeah. even they know a relative who has already gone west. You know, the the initial westward expansion was very um uh culturally localized the germans all went mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. you know the the greeks kind of went in this area you know like that that you know five people from one village go more people go and that's yep. it's the kind of a feedback loop and so people want to go but then there's industries around that there are people running wagon trains people selling um outfitting supplies uh, the the same lumber industry, you know. Oh, do you if you want to build a house, bring the lumber with you because yeah. there's no Home Depot there. <laughs> um, so there is a thousand pressures on people to make them move west. Right. And this the, the tall tale is is the the PR campaign. Yep. And one of the things that made tall tales so uh, accessible and and things that people liked was it's the graphic sex and violence the the nudity <laughs> everybody's naked in the stories that's right babe it, wasn't a blue ox originally <laughs> uh the the narrators of the tales uh, usually told them in a way to entertain more so than to explain mm-hmm. um and so often they were really Much f- like we do <laughs> well right right uh often they were funny and enjoyable so people can relate to them, and uh, they conveyed a uh, the the narrators would convey a sense of uh, almost like an eyewitness account to right, yeah. to these tales. They were part of it. They were in the story only as a bystander. That's right. But so uh, so there's your foundation. Let's start building a house up here of uh, of tales. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna start off with uh, I, I I don't know. You probably America's number one tall tale figure. Yep, Paul Bunyan. Yeah, that's right. He's a logging man. Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan was... <laughs> what, what was that name? Paul Bunyan. Oh, now he's going to appear. Paul Weslington Bunyan Third. Paul Bunyan. Uh, he was a gigantic lumberjack from the Northern American territories. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on the narrator, he was anywhere from six foot three to eight feet tall. Uh, and in later accounts, big as a mountain. Yep. In one story... He found a companion in the form of a giant blue ox who he named Babe. Uh, some of his feats were driving whales out of the Great Lakes, creating the Grand Canyon by dragging a logging tool behind him, cutting all the trees in North Dakota and making farmland. Uh, also famous for eating breakfast so large that the cooks either had to strap giant 
blocks of butter or in some versions hams to mm-hmm. their feet to grease up this huge griddle. Yep. And he also apparently straightened the Mississippi River with Babe, the blue ox, pulling yep. pulling on it. It was said he had a uh, he could clear a ten mile swath of trees with one swing. That's a big axe. Big big axe man. <laughs> I get you. I get you. Got a got a little story here for you. A little one one short account. Mm-hmm. These tall tales you got to understand they're made up of just small puzzle pieces. In the form of short stories. Yeah. They're, they're Very camp, short. They're, they're campfire stories. They're, they're anecdotes that yeah. are told, you know, kill time. And so a, a, a collection of these stories is made into, you know, the life of Paul Bunyan. So here's a, here's a tale mm-hmm. of Paul Bunyan. Um, now, the, the roots of this one are, are as, as retold by S.E. Schlosser. Yep. From uh, AmericanFolklore.net. Yep. That's where we got that one. Internet. Juan Wanta. Paul Bunyan came to log along the little gimlet in Oregon. Yeah. Ask any old timer who was logging that winter and they'll tell you. I ain't lying when I say his kitchen covered about 10 miles of territory. Territory. <laughs> that stove now, she was a grand one. An acre long and taller than a scrub pine when yeah. she was warm. She melted the snow for about 20 miles around. The men logging in the vicinity never had to put their jackets on till about noon on a day when Paul Bunyan wanted flapjacks. Flapjacks, yeah. <laughs> it was quite a sight to see. That cook of Paul Bunyan's making flapjacks, you know. Cookie would send four or five boys up with a side of hog tied to each of their snowshoes. Snow they'd shoe. skate around there and keep that griddle greased while Cookie and seven other men flipped flapjacks for Paul Bunyan. Flip flapjacks. Took them about an hour to make enough flapjacks to fill them up. The rest of us had to wait our turn. The table we had set up for the camp was about 10 miles long. 10 miles, yeah. We rigged elevators at the table to bring the vittles to each end, and some of the younger lads in the camp rode bicycles down the path of the center, carrying cakes and such, whatever they were called for. What kind of uh, hard-ass lumberjacks need cakes? <laughs> I mean, everyone likes cake, but you're a lumberjack. Yeah, well. And also you're eating flapjacks. Carbs, people. I mean, they're burning them off, right? That's why it's called right. Lumberjack's Breakfast, because they're like the hardest working guys ever. <laughs> now, sometimes these lads had to take the finest doilies from Mrs. Habersham's house. <laughs> All right. We had one mishap that winter. Uh-oh. Babe the Blue Ox accidentally knocked down a bag of dried peas off the countertop when Uh-oh. he swished his tail. Yeah. Well, them peas flew so hard and so fast out of the kitchen that they knocked over a dozen loggers coming home from lunch. No. Uh-huh. That's a lot of widows. Almost 12. Clipped the tops off several pine trees and landed in the hot spring. We had pea soup to eat for the rest of the season, which was okay by me, but them boys whose mamas insisted they bathe more than once a year were pretty sore at the losing their swimming hole. Yeah, they were sore, all right, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. There's there you a, go. There's a classic piece of Paul Bunyan. Yep. Your that, bunion uh, hole. <laughs> put that in your bunion hole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so that one is definitely, he, he was a, a huge, huge... Uh, figure. Yeah, ten miles of of table, mm-hmm. which is weird because that implies that they had so many loggers that they they stretch for ten miles. It, <laughs> like, well, they kind of lost track of what's supposed to be big in that story. Think of it this way: it had to take them some time to build all that shit. What could they have done with that time that that <laughs> took them to yeah. actually construct this stuff for Paul Bunyan? Yeah, was the whole thing just a, a support structure to keep the Bunyan machine working? <laughs> 
he would do what they what the work that they would missing out on. And why does the griddle have to be so big? Can't you just make him like ten thousand regular pancakes and he could eat them like cereal? <laughs> Got too soggy, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Paul Bunyan is a huge icon, especially in Minnesota. Yeah. He's he's kind of like the king of lung, lumberjacks. Oh, yeah. Uh, but was there such a person? Yeah, that's a really good question. Does it have a really good answer, Flora? It might. Okay. It, 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 has, a, it, it has a decent answer. Oh, I like that. Uh, the name Paul Bunyan, thought to be French-Canadian in origin. Mm-hmm. Paul Bunyan. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's close to the expression Bunyan. Told you. Uh, that's an ex- exclamation of astonishment. Yep, that's uh, seven years of French working for me right there. <laughs> uh, some people have tried likening him to the French-Canadian logger named Fabien Fournier, a uh, big dude with a mean axe in the mid-1800s. Um, he was actually killed in Michigan in 1875. I think in a bar brawl. So like America, I mean, so Canadian's toughest guy. Crosses the border for five seconds, then learns what's up. <laughs> that's that's how it worked. <laughs> Made the wise. Detroit has never changed. <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> uh, also, um, that figure of uh, Fabian Fournier may uh, be mixed with Bon Jean who in 1837 was a farmer who rebelled against British rule in Ooh. Quebec. Um, in truth, he's mostly fake lore. Yeah. Created for commercial advertising. Yeah. He, now, there had been stories kind of kicked around approximately, but right. it, it wasn't until William Lawford of the Red River Timber Company mm-hmm. got a hold of it and sort of... Uh, and it was a slow thing. He condensed some tall tales of Paul Bunyan, turned them into an ad campaign, which had a not you know a fair to middle in response, and then said, "Nope, I'm sticking to it." Compiled another series of stories, mm-hmm. and he he himself uh, exaggerated things. I think that's the point where Paul Bunyan became this gigantic super giant. Yeah. He's the one who named the blue ox Babe. Yeah. Um, you know, he, and then, and then it became more popular. He really sensationalized it. He added a lot of spice to the stories. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think he's the reason why we're talking about him still. Yeah. That was in the early 1900s. Uh, they were published in, in pamphlets and magazines again to, to drum up some uh, business for the lumber company. Yep. There were also stories of Paul Bunyan told by James McGillivray and James Stevens. Lots of lots of Jimmys in here. It was a popular name back then. It was like the Caitlin of the turn of the century. Lots of Jimmys in here. Our, our British listeners will appreciate that one. <laughs> Australian listeners too, I guess. Uh, his stories uh, got bigger. Paul Bunyan's stories, they, they just kept getting bigger and bigger, you know, more exaggerated with each of these. And then um, your, your friends, our friends over at uh, Disney... Oh, yeah. Picked him up. and um, They are my friends. Made him very kid-friendly. Yep. And this is another thing I think we should come back to after after some of these uh, people that we tell you about, how the stories have uh, come into children's literature and things yeah. that, that uh, children in America get taught growing right. up. And there is, I mean, there's maybe even a podcast worth of that, of the amount of American folklore or American, I mean, honestly asking how many of Grimm's fairy tales would we know without Disney? Like the, the 
the crystallizing effect that Disney has on locking things in to it's culture is, is it can't be denied. I mean, it's, it's, it's significant and a little spooky. Yeah. Yeah. Which is to say, I mean, that one company can, can have this huge effect. I have little bad things to say about Disney before I love Disney. <laughs> let's uh, well, that that's Paul Bunyan for you. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Talk about John Henry. Oh yeah. That's still swinging man. Yep. Still driver. John Henry. Taint Taf- nothing but my hammer sucking wind. It keeps me breathing. That's, <laughs> and, the, that's the Johnny cash ballad of Haunt John Henry. Sure. Sure. Well, let's get through. Let's tell you who he is, and then we'll get to all the pop culture references that right. he has spawned. John Henry was an African American railroad worker who hammered steel into rock to make room for explosives, mm-hmm. and drove spikes into rails as the railroads expanded west and south, and and some east, and and just snaked all over the country. Yep, <laughs> he was an imposing, powerful man who was unmatched in stamina and strength both of body and character. His defining moment was proving his mettle against a newfangled steam-powered hammer. That's right. Essentially martyring himself to show that man was more valuable than the machine. Yeah. Whoops-a-daisy. Let me tell you a little story here about John Henry. Man. And if you haven't heard Johnny Cash's Ballad of John Henry... Now's the time. (laughs) I mean... I really, I would say, personally, in my my opinion, as a guy who has been a lifelong fan of Johnny Cash, definitely top five, maybe top three Johnny Cash songs. Hmm. Mm, top five. I love the ballad of John Henry as sung by Johnny Cash. It's great. It is great. With a steep nose hammer on a four-foot switch handle, John Henry and brought it back till it touched his heels. Can we do a single podcast without me singing a part of a song from the Johnny an- Cash. The an- from anyone, the answer is no. <laughs> All right, this is uh, this is a shortened version of the entire story of John Henry, the steel driving man, retold by S. E. Schlosser from AmericanFolklore.net. Now, John Henry was a mighty man, yes, sir. He was born a slave in the 1840s, but was freed after the war. Went to work as a steel driver for the Chesapeake and Ohio Railroad, don't you know? John Henry was the strongest, most powerful man working the rails. John Henry, he'd spend his days drilling holes by hitting thick steel spikes into rocks, with his faithful shaker crouching close to the hole, turning that drill after each mighty blow. There's no one who could match him, though many tried. Well, the new railroad is moving along right quick, thanks in no little part to the mighty John Henry. Balloomin' right smack in its path was a mighty enemy, the Big Bend Mountain. Now the big bosses at the C&O Railroad decided they couldn't go around the mile and a quarter thick mountain. No, sir, the men of the C&O were going to go through it, drilling right into the heart of the mountain. A thousand men to lose their lives before the great enemy was conquered. Took three long years, and before it was done, the ground outside that mountain was filled with makeshift sandy graves. The new tunnels were filled with smoke and dust. Couldn't see no how and couldn't hardly breathe. But John Henry, 
He worked tirelessly, drilling with a 14-pound hammer and going 10 to 12 feet in one workday. No one else could match him. Then one day, a salesman came along to the camp. Salesman. <laughs> he had one of them steam-powered drills and claimed it could out-drill any man. Monorail. Monorail. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they set up a contest then and there between John Henry and that there drill. Foreman ran that newfangled steam drill. John Henry, well, he just pulled out two 20-pound hammers, one in each hand. They drilled and they drilled, dust rising everywhere. The men were howling and cheering. At the end of 35 minutes, John Henry had drilled two seven-foot holes, total of 14 feet, while the steam drill had only drilled one nine-foot hole. John Henry held up his hammers in triumph. The men shouted and cheered. The noise was so loud it took a moment for the men to realize that John Henry was tottering. Exhausted, the mighty man crashed to the ground, the hammers rolling from his grasp. The crowd went silent as the foreman rushed to his side, but it was too late. A blood vessel had burst in his brain. The greatest driller in the CNO Railroad was dead. Some folks say that John Henry's likeness is carved right into that rock beside the Big Bend Tunnel. And if you walk to the edge of the blackness of the tunnel, Sometimes you can hear the sound of two 20-pound hammers drilling their way to victory over that machine. As they go by that curve, picking up speed, clickety-clack, clickety-clack. They say, hey there, John Henry. You sure was a hammer swinger. <laughs> great story, great character. I This one was interesting, though. Usually, I think it's told that his heart gives out right, yeah. because of the stress of it. You know, he pushes himself to the limit and past. Uh, blood vessel, I mean, he died of an aneurysm. Right. I mean, stress, sure. But, like, I I like the, the stories that have him just, his heart gave out from, from too much trying. Yeah, and I, like, <laughs> the version I always heard wasn't that, like, wasn't like a 30-minute thing. It was like a, this, like... An all-night thing. Yeah, right? like yeah. this long marathon of him really beating out the, the steam drill. Sure, sure. Um, and, uh, and it's, I like John Henry too, because there's, uh, you know, like Paul Bunyan fictional. Sure. There was never a guy, you know, and there, there was a few notable lumberjacks of the day. And we'll, we'll talk about a couple of those, you know, uh, uh, Cordwood Pete. Oh yeah. Um, you know, things like that, but Paul Bunyan fictional, John Henry mm. really, you can go either way on it. It's true. Uh, the historical records. Uh, do show that there was uh, a conscript laborer, a yeah. convicted burglar uh, by the name of John William Henry, yep. uh, uh, prisoner number 497, um, that was working in West Virginia. Uh, there's, a, there's a few holes in the story. The, the area in the, where the historical plaques and everything are say, oh, this is where this happened. Mm -hmm. However, there's no indication that any steam drills were ever used there. Right. But there's another site uh, uh, located just a little bit distance away. Yeah, like 40 miles away. Yeah, exactly, called the Lewis Tunnel, uh, also in West Virginia, where there were uh, conscript laborers and steam drills used together, mm. where that might be where this came from. and Could have had a race. And there is some uh, anecdotal evidence, oh, that there was, um, 
that he was buried. They some some of the stories say oh he was buried in the behind the White House in the sand, and, yep, yep. and there was a white building where the conscript laborers were kept, and and you know yeah, and a lot of unmarked graves. And- exactly. So the, so there there's the real possibility that this is based on the life of a real person, and and maybe he never even raced a steam drill maybe they just said oh man this guy is so strong i'll bet you he's faster than that drill you know and maybe that was all it took yeah but it is that it is a great iconic story about man being a man yeah Yeah. exactly uh there's no replacement for a man um and also giving worth to Mm -hmm. to a person and at that time a person of color too exactly yeah A, a black folk hero right at the time pretty saucy yeah um that was 1840s 1850s was when he was maybe born yeah uh and apparently he's born in new jersey and then um went down to virginia area did all his uh, as long scootings. as he ain't born in dorchester yeah you um I don't know if the, if it's accurate or not, but the accounts say he he was you know somewhere around six foot tall, two hundred pounds, strapping man at the time. Yeah, not so, afraid to swing a hammer. That's right. Um, there have been other folklorists who have theorized that uh, all this stuff took place in Alabama. Mm. Uh, there's one that says maybe in Kentucky. I mean, it's just it's kind of like eh, it's in the South. Well, and and uh, considering how many press gangs were work how many chain gangs were working railroads it was this it was the restoration of the south yeah at the time exactly and there was a lot of people that were down there that were that were rebuilding post-civil war right um lots of free freed slaves who mm-hmm. suddenly found themselves in a position of having to to get jobs you know right. like figure out oh what am i going to do now what's the next step um and i'd be willing to believe that a, a story similar you know, like that that every region had their giant badass tough guy yeah yeah. you know like every crew's got its best man and and maybe in a large enough area they've got a guy who you know they've got that steel driving wunderkind that they're just like wow yeah you know and so it doesn't have to be one guy there there could be a lot of guys and they just use the name john henry which I imagine, just like today, was a common name. You can't Probably. find a John Henry if you Google that. <laughs> but these stories and this figure and responsible for you know a ton of influence on on culture, music, art, mm-hmm. uh, literature, labor, and civil right. civil rights. You know the movements yeah. uh, use this uh, character industrialism against industrialism you know stuff like that uh the dc superhero steel his name's john henry irons shaquille o'neal played that's right yeah that's right (laughs) once Shaq plays you you're there you've arrived you hear that gin (laughs) i was gonna say said said the the amalgamated union of gin (laughs) shazam they prefer to pronounce it shazam (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's uh that's john henry we'll probably circle back around uh, in song or something later. Uh, let's talk about Pecos Bill. Oh, yeah. Pecos Bill, the man who tamed the wild, wild west. The quintessential cowboy raised by coyotes in Texas in the fell, 1830s. That's right. Fell off the back of his family's uh, a wagon. Conestoga wagon. Prairie right, schooner. Mm-hmm, right by the uh, the Pecos River, raised by coyotes. Found by his brother years later, convinced that he was human and not coyote. <laughs> hard, hard sell. Yeah, hard sell. But... Found his way to civilization, had numerous adventures. So many. Uh, He rode a horse named either Lightning or Widowmaker. 
because because no one else could could ride that horse but him and, and keep their lives. Had a large rattlesnake for a lasso and a regular sized <laughs> snake for a whip. Mm-hmm. He was a rootin' tootin' hard shooting cowboy. Yep, and once shot out all the stars, but one, the Lone Star. That's right. He also uh, got sick and tired of the drought in Texas, so he went over to California and took all their rain. Um, Although the uh, the bit's kind of corny, he took all the rain from California, and that's <laughs> how you got the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> A little Roy Rogers. Uh, oh yeah, you know. another one. That's it, it's these things are are, are great for uh, for music and and oh, they, for, uh, folk and country music. Just go to town on these stories. They do, and and the uh, to come back to it again again. The Disney version of the the Ballad of Pecos Bill. Yeah, he looks. Kind of coked up and manic. <laughs> he, he really, it's like, you're like, yeah, I believe that he made the Rio Grande because he was thirsty, but he looks very unstable. <laughs> like, he just has this super wide eyed meth face all the time. He looks kind of coked up. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, but they, they do such a, a great job. And I love that style of animation. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's back when you could have a superhero that uh, rolls a cigarette. Right, right. And that was a just takes a nice sweet draw, of sweet flavor. <laughs> uh, he also courted an equally spirited cowgirl named Slewfoot Sue. That's right. She rode a catfish down the Rio Grande. Mm-hmm. Lots of adventures. We'll tell you the. We'll tell you one more here. Yeah. Uh, old Pecos Bill did. That's right. I, I got. A, I got an adventure. Of old Pecos Bill. Now everyone in the West knows that Pecos Bill could ride anything. No Bronco could throw him, no sir. Fact is, I only heard of Bill getting thwarted once in his whole career as a cowboy. Yep, it was a time he was up Kansas way and decided to ride him a tornado. Now, Bill wasn't going to ride just any tornado, no ma'am. He waited for the biggest gall-dirt tornado you ever saw. It was turning the sky black and green and roaring so loud it woke up the farmers all the way in China. Well, old Bill just grabbed that there tornado and pushed it to the ground and jumped on its back. A tornado whipped and whirled and sidewinded and generally cussed its bad luck all the way down to Texas. Tied the rivers into knots and flattened all the forests so bad they had to rename one place the Stock Plains. But Bill just rode along all calm-like and giving it an occasional jab with his spurs. Finally, that tornado decided it wasn't getting this cowboy off its back know-how, so it headed west to California IA and just rained itself out. Made so much water it washed out the Grand Canyon. That tornado was down to practically nothing when Bill finally fell off. He hit the ground so hard it sank below sea level. Folks call that spot Death Valley. Anyway, that's how rodeo got started. Though most cowboys stick to Broncos these days. Goo 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 goo. Oh, get that! Uh, yeah. And now the harrowing tale yeah. of Pecos Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Gallen. Oh, now, God, not Ed Gallen. Now, Poe Ed Gallen, Poe, you going to get out of here. Ain't no time for your sissified spooky tales. <laughs> this here is about root tooting, pistol shooting. <laughs> now, I hadn't heard that version of it before. Yeah. Uh, my That's un- a fun thing with these folk tales. Oh, There's right, so yeah. many. Yeah, you get something new over time. 
I mean, like I said, I, I know that the uh, I never heard the, the the origin of Death Valley. I know that the the rain from California, which apparently Texas is extraordinarily jealous of, that comes up a lot. <laughs> it does. Um, or maybe it's in love with. Oh, obsess much Texas. Texas. Oh my God, Texas. Seriously, you need to love yourself first, and then maybe you should go talk to California. But honestly, it's sort of taken. Do you know how much sodium is in those steaks? <laughs> Why don't you try a kale salad? Maybe Texas, with some beets. Listen, you're smoking hot, and I know that you love barbecuing and stuff. But Texas, put your shirt on. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Uh, but I, I have heard that uh, that uh, that Pecos Bill rode a tornado down to a little gust of wind. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, also, that he squeezed the clouds uh, out of it to to end a drought yep. in Texas. There. By the way, uh, two down, forty eight more voices to go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> really marching through it. <laughs> Um, most folklorists consider Pecos Bill a prime example of fake lore. Yep. Made up by a writer named Edward O'Reilly. O'Reilly? O'Reilly. There was a general in the Civil War named William Shafter, (laughs) whose uh, nickname was Pecos Bill. There's a (laughs) drought in Texas. Texas has no water. I'm... Going to squeeze that tornado. I've got to. <laughs> Mister. <laughs> um, yeah, this general uh, nicknamed Pecos Bill because he fought against Native Americans in Texas. Um, and I guess around that region, probably where he's he got his name, it's reckoned. And uh, considered, a a, considered a real uh, tough hero at the time. Yeah. Earned a Medal of Honor. All this stuff. That's right. Um, but other than that, other than that guy... Uh, and this Pecos Bill probably wasn't. Uh, he probably never fell in love with a woman riding a catfish. Like <laughs> that part might be fictionalized. Yeah, he, he, this this didn't come from this guy, I don't think. So uh, that's Pecos Bill. Um, oh, wait, I've got one last fun fact for you. Oh, please. I can tie Pecos Bill to a cryptid. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pecos Bill said to have fought <laughs> the Bear Lake monsters to a standstill, yep. neither winning. And the Bear Lake monster, I mean, maybe 2015. Oh, but that is a very real cryptid in the uh, American West. Last Utah, right? Yep, last sighting 2002. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I saw a version of the tale that said he he fought it for a long time, but then. When it got tired, he whipped it around, spun it around, and threw it, and it ended up in Loch Ness. Whoa. So, yeah, <laughs> Pecos Bill. Wow. He's a fan of the podcast. Uh, Pecos, uh, write us in. Uh, yeah, tell, us, to- tell us how it's going. He found us on StumbleUpon. <laughs> Actually, I, uh, there, is a, there is a death story of Pecos Bill said that some fancy schmancy from Boston came down, wanted to be a real, you know. Dorchester masshole. <laughs> Uh, wanted to be a cowboy, you know, city slicker, wanted to be a cowboy, mm-hmm. so he bought the... The real dude. The uh, patent leather boots, snakeskin, and big old belt buckle, and one of them $50 suits, and mm-hmm. Pecos Bill took a look at him and set to laughing so hard he laughed himself to death. Oh, 
Last laugh. Uh, that's Pecos Bill. Let's talk about Johnny Appleseed. Yeah, that's a guy. I'm uh, going to run through a few real quick for you here. Yeah. So as not to get too long. Now, Johnny Appleseed is uh, our, our one and only 100% confirmed real guy. Yeah. He is a, as real as they get and a, a, a genuine uh, American folk hero. That's right. Born John Chapman in Leominster, Massachusetts in 1774. Uh, Johnny Appleseed was a real man elevated to Tall Tale du- due to his actions. Yeah. He, he earned was, it. He he totally earned it by being a kind man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was t- kind towards animals, towards Fam- strangers. for loving animals. Natives, uh, plant life. He yeah. was, you know, um, he preached Christianity as a missionary. And he had a hand in introducing apple nurseries between everywhere between Massachusetts and Indiana. Yeah, and there and there are stories that go beyond that, which could, um, you know, th- that's where things get a little gray. Oh, is that just the the growing of the mythos, or did he actually continue on in right. those areas? Uh, he was he was alone his whole life. He never married. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of, of of stories about that, and again, because this guy is entirely reared, there are, there are accounts of conversations people had with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was said to have been um, really, really uh, into this one particular girl, went to the town to propose marriage, and was a day late. Ooh. And she had already accepted a proposal from another man. There's another tale uh, story that he had found uh, a girl, uh, a little girl who was had no parents, was starving in the streets, and, and raised her. And gets a little creepy. Oh, A little goodness. creepy for the time that his plan was, well, I'll, I'll raise her, she can get an education, and when the time is right, we'll get married. And and because I am her benefactor, and she'll appreciate that. No, she did not. Mm. Um, he went to visit her he, on one of his many trips. He came back, and she was lewdly and lasciviously holding the hand of another gentleman. Oh, my. Um, and so the, oh, my goodness. And I don't know about the details of the story, but oh, there are... Good, <laughs> oh, Gracious Lord. Me. Gracious. Uh, there was a, a, a repetitive kind of theme about... It, him being spurned in love, that the mm. the women he loved didn't return it, or that they were somehow dishonest or disingenuous yeah. about it. Neither here nor there, but it, he he never married. Uh, he didn't have any kids. See, I, I saw one account that said he did marry. His wife died uh, giving birth to the second Instantly. kid or something like that. <laughs> she choked on an apple. Uh, that he had at least one kid, maybe two. Oh, see? But this is this is part of the, the charm yeah. of these f***ers. <laughs> These dirty pokers. The, the the tales that we get from him make him sound very much like a Dungeons and Dragons druid. <laughs> yeah. He is yeah. he is true neutral. He is a friend of the forest. Yeah. Um, and there's a ton of stories about this that he and, and I love it because it it is a, a very grudging love of nature at times. <laughs> um he had built a campfire and noticed that mosquitoes were burning in the flames and, and he Took his water, doused the flames, and said, "Oh, you know, I, I, I can't. I thought I could have a fire. I guess I, I thought I could have something nice, but if it means burning God's creatures, I guess I can't." And I'm like, yeah, kind of like a the shit I gotta put up with kind of thing. And there's a few stories, and you know, obviously there's exaggerations, like, oh, he was gonna sleep in a hollowed out log, and there was a bear in there, so he didn't. <laughs> Um, I don't think that's, I don't think that's, that's, that's not reverence for nature. No, that's just that's common sense. Yeah. Just leave the bear alone, Johnny. Now the, the 
thought is that he just went about uh, throwing apple seeds willy-nilly and have an apple tree spring up. Everybody eats the apples. Everybody's happy. Oh, my gosh, what a time. What yep. a time. But uh, what he actually did was build nurseries for apple trees, uh, not even orchards. He, he cultivated these, uh, these places where trees could grow with uh, apples that were too bitter to eat but they were great for making liquor. Yeah. Cider and Jack. That's right. Everybody was a little Apple Jack. Apple Jack. Back then it wasn't a cereal. It was a way of life. Um, I think there is a new cider that's a hard cider that's out called Johnny Appleseed. Really? If you're listening. <laughs> still need a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, that's a brief Johnny Appleseed for you. How about Joe Magarak? Uh, tell me, because uh, in the list of people that I've researched, Joe Magarak didn't make the cut. Well, <laughs> so it's on you, Flora. <laughs> uh, he made my cut. It's a Croatian American steel worker. Uh, apparently, as the story goes, <laughs> rose out of an ore mine made entirely of steel and helps steel workers rather magically, uh, as in the time he stopped a 50 ton crucible from falling on some workers. That's a tough son of a bitch. Uh, his home was Pittsburgh, and uh, he was he was like a role model for kids. You know, p- parents would tell kids oh, yeah. stories of this guy because he was strong. He thought of others. He was helpful. He was courageous. <laughs> Apparently, Magarak in Croatian means jackass. <laughs> <laughs> so the beginnings, his origins may have been um, satirical. In a way, you know, it might have been making fun of maybe Croatian American steel workers, uh, but they flipped the script. They made it. They made it. They made it a positive. Yep, made it a positive. He's he was a folk hero for them. Huh. Joe Magarak. Um, never yeah. heard. Of, never heard of Joe Magarak. I think. Well, I mean, please write us in if you have. Yeah, I want to know how many people have heard of Joe Magarak. Yins guys from Pittsburgh, uh, right oh, in and Yinzers. <laughs> tell us, tell us about old Joe Magarak. How about somebody you have heard of? Who's that? Calamity Jane. I have heard of her. I wish I wasn't so drunk right, right now. I, I'm t- <laughs> I have a good- I tell you, I whipped the shit out of you. I have a good friend uh, named John. And sometimes when he gets really drunk, his wife gets really mad. Because he's like trash, he comes home from the Indian. He can get him out of trouble because he becomes Calamity John and he'll crawl into bed and go, I'm sorry, I'm such a drunk f up. I'm just, I was just gonna go get a buffalo. And he'll do this Calamity John Deadwood thing. Apparently, I, I think it's something that he has to rarely use otherwise. Oh, yeah. But uh, Calamity good, Jane, born. Martha Jane Cannery, mm. or Canary, depending on the story. <laughs> uh, the number of ends is important. Sure. Um, she was born uh, in May of 1852, died August 1903. Wow. Uh, and her exploits were that she um, moved about throughout the West a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the, her, her father moved them out there and then died within a year. Uh, they moved then to uh, northern Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Um, where she would do really whatever job she could. Um, and that included uh, occasional stints of prostitution. Hmm. Uh, she did some scouting with the army. The, things get, even within her own lifetime, things got a little muddy because um, part of it is that because of her association with Wild Bill Hickok, she was something of a, a celebrity. Mm-hmm. 
and she didn't ever really have a single stock and trade. She never had a, a go-to marketable skill. And so even, even her self-written uh, biographies were filled with, with falsehoods. She would lie about it to gin up interest if she was about to go on a tour of, say, dime museums or something wow. like that. So even in her own lifetime, it was very hard to pick out the truth of it. But the things we do know is that she, um, she was a close associate of Wild Bill Hickok. Yep. In some versions of it, married to him briefly, had a child. Um, not the most widely held belief. Right. Most of the people, there were a lot of quotes from his good friends, uh, uh, Charlie Utter. That Colorado said, Charlie Utter. That's right. Uh, that said that, uh, to, to quote, um, Wild Bill had no use for her. Oh. He was not, there's not enough beer on earth, <laughs> Calamity Jane. Apparently in her youth, she was very, very beautiful, uh, or at least very attractive. Um, and she did on and off work as a prostitute. She also did a lot of peace work. Uh, she did scouting, things like that. Hmm. Uh, later on in life, kind of took up uh, helping out a, a known madam. In, and she lived in, dead, in the Deadwood, South Dakota area for a long time. Hmm. Um, and then eventually uh, really went in for drinking. Yep. Pro style. <laughs> uh, died of uh, bowel inflammation. Ouch. Yeah, you thought dysentery was as bad as it got. Was buried next to Wild Bill Hickok. And you hear two versions of the story, either because they were married and they were in love and, mm-hmm. and that was the end. The other thing was as a practical joke by Bill Hickok's friends. <laughs> so, and that's where you get the quote. Uh, Colorado Charlie Otter said, well, he had no use for her in life, so maybe he'll figure out what to do with her in the afterlife. So wow. they buried him next to each other. And then the, the third version is that it was her wishes that she be buried next to Wild Bill Hickok. Because in some stories, sure. she, she was so enamored with him that she was borderline obsessive. Yeah. Wow. Calamity Jane. Yeah, yeah. How about uh, Captain Alfred Bulltop Stormalong? Oh, <laughs> which is a hell of a name. Yeah. A fine New England tradition. Yeah. Full care of sailor. Captain Stormalong, giant New England sea captain, yeah. 30 foot tall if he was an inch. Captain a huge clipper ship so tall it had hinged masts to keep it from hitting the moon. Oh. Yeah. His nemesis was the Kraken. His ship apparently slammed into the Panamanian coast and created the canal there. Heard someone from Dorchester Island once called him a fucking asshole. Never heard from again. Or the island. Don't find it on any map, do you? <laughs> Got stuck in the English Channel. Needed soap to get unstuck. All that soap turned those cliffs at Dover white. Oh. His death was told in many ways. But one was akin to John Henry, where he raced a steamboat across the Atlantic Ocean and won. The stress killing him. Oh. That's Captain Alfred Bulltop Stormalong, yeah? How about uh, Casey Jones? Oh, this is a fun one. I like this one. Yeah. Sad, but fun. It is sad. It is sad, because you would think that if someone wants to fight crime in the same realm as Mutant Ninja Turtles, that just sports equipment is not going to cut it. But it does. It it surprisingly works very effective against the foot. American folklore. (laughs) Casey Jones was a train man. He was not high on cocaine. No. (laughs) I want to say that's the Grateful Dead who sings Casey Jones. I don't know. I'm not a hippie. Well, either way. (laughs) And here comes the listener. (laughs) Either way, this was another real person. Yep. Elevated to tall tale. Because of his exploits. Mm-hmm. Exploit. Exploit. Yeah. Albeit posthumously. <laughs> yeah. He was born Jonathan Jones 
in Jackson, Tennessee in 1863, grew up near Casey, Kentucky, and adopted the nickname Casey from that. Not spelled the same. Mm-hmm. His dream was to be an engineer, and he worked his way up to the position on the Illinois Central Railroad. Cannonball Express, eventually. Mm-hmm. He was, he, was, he was kind of the rigs of the uh, engineer trade. He had a... He was always explaining his screwball antics to the engineer commissioner. He had a pretty spotty safety record. He would get a lot of suspensions for uh, failure to adhere to the rules. But even people at the time were like, well, but the rule he never broke is he was never late. Never late. And that was the most important rule. So they're like, so screw those other suspensions, those other rule breakings. He never broke the rigid iron golden rule. Yep. And so punctual, you could set your watch to him. Mm Mm-hmm. He was a good man, ambitious, a little too ambitious at times, but uh, once saved a little girl from the tracks by climbing out onto the cow catcher and scooping her up before the train hit her. Wow. Train wasn't barreling along. It had slowed down so he could oil some of the uh, equipment, uh, but fast enough to kill a little girl, I'd say. <laughs> right, yeah. It's a train. It could be going six miles train. an hour and it will kill something. Uh, in April of 1900... He was attempting a record run of a passenger train, the Cannonball Express, from Tennessee to Mississippi. The weather was damp and foggy, uh, and when he was in Mississippi late that night, he caught sight of some freight cars stuck on the track. Now keep in mind, he's going 75 miles per hour at this time. Which people thought would kill you then. There was a genuine belief that if you move more than 20 miles an hour, you'd suffocate. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that was a like there was a quote unquote scientist saying like hey hey you'll die. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. So great. Um he managed to shout to his fireman, the guy stoking the flames, mm-hmm. up there in the engine with him to leap to safety and he was able to reduce speed from 75 miles per hour to 35 miles per hour before he impacted these freight cars that yeah. were sitting on the track, killing him instantly. But probably saving everyone else on board his train. Yeah, he was the only fatality in that wreck, Mm -hmm. which is what catapulted him into American folklore. Yep, yep. You'll hear stories of uh, you know what a what a great engineer he was. He was he's uh, famous for saving these lives. He had his own train whistle. (laughs) Yeah, Um, Casey Jones. That's. A lot of these, are like even like Calamity Jane and stuff, like and and others that we've had on our list that we kind of we probably don't have time to get to. Yeah, it's great American frontiersmen and and people that helped shape the country. Yeah, that as an American, sorry, uh, foreign listeners, if if this has just been <laughs> one huge fucking boring. Are you ride. kidding? Do you know how fascinated I would be to hear the the folk heroes of Australia? Like, well, like this is this is kind of cool. I, if I lived in another country, I would like to know. Just yeah. saying, I, I, I'm I'm right there with you. I don't know if if other people would be that way, but oh, I'm keep waiting for them to make a fart joke. <laughs> Crikey. Crikey! Come on, David. They've got no nation to nay, no, no. no. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Other notables that that aren't going to make it in uh, to the cut, but uh, if you're an American, please go check out David Crockett. I, I have I had a problem putting putting him in here because 
I don't consider him a tall tale. No, no. Just a, you know, an American frontiersman who did a lot of shit. Yeah, and Fess Parker made him look like a pimp. Oh, fuck you, Mike Fink. <laughs> uh, next on the list, Mike Fink. Uh, <laughs> uh, Daniel Boone. Yep. Had, had you heard of Daniel Boone before? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Boone's a big one. Uh, not unlike uh, Davy Crockett in Very many similar, of his exploits. Yep. Um, Frontiersman. He did a lot of stuff around the area that I grew up. The, the triumvirate, Jim Bowie. Jim Bowie, yep. Helped uh, a lot of these people helping out with the old fight in Santa Ana. Yeah. Um, what that place? I can't remember the name of it, though. <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch! <laughs> we had one rule! <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh who who else is out there? Feebold Feebledson <laughs> who had a a feeble Feebleson story. Jesus, yeah. He's like a a a Scandinavian guy who could pray for rain. <laughs> sure. I, yeah. I think that's as much as I could get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh so there you go. Uh Boom. well uh let's let's talk a little bit. What kind of impact did uh, did all these have? We've we've touched on a lot of them. Yeah, I think um, I think that it lit a fire for westward expansion. I think that it uh, it gave them a role model of sorts, like mm-hmm. of, of of daring acts and and look Can at this do person. Attitude. Exactly, yeah. these people weren't daunted by the huge tasks set before them. They just rolled their sleeves up and, well, a, a daggum better do it then. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, like like we mentioned, these served as role models, especially uh, in the form of like John Henry. Mm-hmm. You know, being someone that that. Um, movements could use them and, and crystallize around this, you know, this idea of this person so they could fight uh, the labor battles. They could fight the civil rights uh, battles that they needed to, you know, these, these concepts. Um, yeah. And, and these, these are, were inspiring figures. They demonstrate the ability of a single individual to make huge contributions and huge changes. And right. they, they empower people to take things into their own hands. And not give up. Mm-hmm. And know that you know they had it in them somewhere. Maybe not to the degree of right. a John Henry or a Paul Bunyan, but eh, you the, might the, the mindset is still there. Yeah, yeah. As stories go, an important part of American literature, getting that off the ground and and uh, up and running. You know, when we talked about uh, Washington Irving being one of the first, if not the father of American literature. Yep. You know, and and in a way, Sleepy Hollow and Ichabod Crane and and stuff like that are folk tales. That's that's straight up uh, uh, this kind of thing. Uh, the the headless horseman. Now, I think ghost stories, things like that, have a different uh, room that they're staying in, in in this hotel. But along the same lines, this is. Uh, all, all of it is important to furthering, you know, an, an identity uh, that America was building at the time of what the culture was, you know. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was it was that that vocalization of of a shared belief, like a, a hope and a, and a wanting to be that person. And so you tell more stories about mm-hmm. that 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 fearlessness that everyone knew was going to be required. Like people needed to be strong. And, and they needed to persevere and they couldn't get discouraged because they knew things were going to be hard, mm-hmm. but they, but it was worth that. Right. Uh, anyways, that, uh, friends and cohorts, that would be your tall tales, American tall tales for you. That's right. Uh, happy, happy fourth, happy Independence Day to uh, our American brethren and sistren. Right now, I'm going to light the fuse on a very big pun firecracker. Oh, I like the crackly ones. I like yeah, those are the. 
All right, Flora, uh, do you want to start? Or would you like me to? Because I know one. I have one written down that I know you're going to take. I had to do. Th- I had to write three because I thought you were going to take this one. Mm-hmm. And actually, I stayed away from one. I, I thought you might. Okay. You might take two. So hopefully, you 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 want me to go first though? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely, I do. Okay. All right. You know when you when you have those untamed innards. Oh yeah. You know you have a, a raging twister in your head that just needs to be saddled (laughs) you need to take yourself a pecos pill oh nice i like that there you go short and sweet all right i got one i'm i'm staying away from the one that i think you have okay (laughs) that's what i was doing all right i've got a i've got a a couple of modern heroes uh the first one is um a guy who who knew about food and nutrition and he he decided he was going to bring that to the entire country and so he traveled relentlessly, hmm. you know, preaching the gospel of, of, of affordable suburban dining for the whole family. God. <laughs> and it was Johnny Applebee's. <laughs> <laughs> he brought diarrhea to a nation. <laughs> you know, we're still looking for a sponsor. Uh, <laughs> The past no. two episodes we have ripped on on an Applebee's. No, we can do it the so other hard. way too. We can be like, "Hey, uh, did you hear that the the new uh, Nike Air Jordans are actually uh, made out of the flesh of children?" <laughs> All you got to do is pay us Nike, and we'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Johnny Applebee's. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm gonna also. I'm gonna stay away again. Okay. I'm, I'll see. We'll can we? See can we I got. just? Can I just say, Paul Bunyip? He was a, a giant, a guy in Australia who cut down trees and lived in the swamp. There, done. Now we've, we've both gotten it off our plates. You go. That was a freebie. It doesn't count. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say a Minnesota man who tells the biggest dad jokes, Paul Punyon. Oh, <laughs> nice. I did not get that one. Or the biggest stoner in Minnesota, Paul Funyon. <laughs> you have to be high. Actually, no, that's not true. Funyons are delicious. You don't have to be high to like Sorry. That. Free ones. Freebies. Freebies. Here. freebies. It's yeah, like a woo! parade. We're... We're strewing them up. Pun rich. Flora, what's your real pun? All right. A strong creator of laser railways who battled the newfangled user. Whoa. Tron Henry. Oh, that's fucking great. (laughs) That was really good. I've got another modern uh, folk hero. Yeah. Just throwing them at you. Throwing them. Back in the the wild, woolly days of the internet when no no one knew anything and no one could find it. And there was one man could tame information who's that then he could track down just about any fact you wanted that man was lycos bill <laughs> lycos. wow nice. yeah how about that lycos <laughs> bet you bet you uh never thought you'd hear that today <laughs> Lycos. Oh, well. Of course, he's set to, to query in and looking. He can find just about every one of them geo cities. <laughs> <laughs> With the fire of <laughs> angels. angels. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> and he goes to church every Sunday to get that angel fire. <laughs> ain't, no uh, web, ain't no web ring he can't bust no. up. <laughs> Lycos Bill. All over the Netscape. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, yep, yep. All right. Well, them's puns. <laughs> them's puns. That was pretty oh, thorough. Goodness. We, we, we did good on puns yeah, this time. We exaggerated those. <laughs> if you, if you haven't yet, why not go on over to the Facebook page, Blurry Photos Podcast on Facebook. Yes. Like us there. Go over to iTunes. Uh, give us five stars. Give us a rating. Yeah. Write, write a little review there. 
I, I do want to take a moment to say, please, if, if you haven't liked us on Facebook, we have kind of a pissing match going with the Fairpoint podcast, and somehow they like caught up. We were crushing them, and they <laughs> caught up to us. And I don't know how they did it. I suspect foul play, but we do it the old-fashioned way by begging. <laughs> so if you yeah. haven't, just click it. It's yep. fine. We don't spam a lot of stuff. We're not going to try to sell you shoes. I do I do a picture and, and the post of the podcast each week. Right. I, I do and my not thought do of the else. morning and my thought of the afternoon. Also, uh, lunchtime suggestions and low-fat diet recipes. Pictures um, of our, our food that yeah, we eat that um, day. Pictures of food that I think look like you puppies. Very political statements. Lots of very hardcore political statements. Uh, we're pretty right-wing with that. So that's it. But that's yeah, it. That's, uh, other but that's than all that. we do. But that's all we do. <laughs> Requests for money. So many requests for money. Uh, we got yeah, a donate go. button. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, we keep the request for money off of Facebook. We have a whole yeah. separate portal. For that. We got a donate button. Thank you so much to those who have contributed. Uh, you're um, the very best. We also uh, we're on StumbleUpon. You can go figure that out. Uh, Twitter blurry mm-hmm. underscore photos. Again, you know, one tweet a week. It would, yeah. The theory, the marketing theory is that we should be doing like every hour on the hour so right. that we're relevant or whatever. It's called harassment. It's harassment. It's straight up harassment. Yeah. It's harassment. Mm-hmm. One tweet a week uh, with the episode. So you're like, oh, yeah, let me go listen to that. Let you know what's going on, y'all. Download. If you haven't gone to iTunes and, and given us a review yet, just do it real quick. It, it, it does help us out. It makes us seem very legit. Presuming that reviewers are the five-star variety. Any less than that, keep it to yourself, mate. Write us an email. Call us <laughs> Keep it off. Do it in an email. Keep it off iTunes. Be That's a shame if uh, be a shame if that their uh, iPod stopped working for you. Man. <laughs> you still got be, an iPod or is it an iPhone? That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Everything you love gone. <laughs> Memory erased. Oh man, oh, that, that went dark. This worst. is the part where we thank people and ask for for kindness. So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 America. <laughs> 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 That's all. That's that's what we got for this episode of Blurry Photos. I have been David Fake Lorica. Oh, nice. And I'm Dave the Blue Ox Stecco. When <laughs> <laughs> the Davids came to the end of their podcast, they made a bullshit names and they did some puns. When they ran out to shit to say, it was time to say goodnight. So they rounded up their other things and said bye. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. There was a target and you destroyed it. You hit it so hard. <laughs> it ain't nothing but my podcast sucking wind. It keeps me breathing. <laughs> my boop.